let that be a reality for us so we walk in the deepness of the intimacy of our relationship with you, Father. That it not be surface or superficial, but it be real and authentic. That we continue to press into you, Lord God, and walk in the fullness of life. That we would walk in that intimacy with you, Lord God. That we would not just know about you, but we would know you intimately. And that we would yield our lives to you, allowing your Holy Spirit just to wash into us and overflow in our lives, God. That we would experience your love in a greater measure. Thank you, Lord, that we can come boldly into your throne of grace. We can come into your presence and release all that stuff to you. And just be in your presence, God. What an awesome privilege and opportunity. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, thank you. You know, as we enter into worship, it's about connecting with him. And I, you may be seated. And I want to thank you for entering in. Because it's an encounter with God that changes our lives. Oh, I love to worship. Let's do that song about 80 more times. Can we do that? Oh, I love that song. At this time, I'd like to release the Warrior Youth. You guys are released to go back. Uh, wow. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, great. I want to publicly thank Dave. He did a great job last week, and uh, yeah, thank you so much. Good job. Uh, we have so many capable people here. God has just really blessed us with some really uh, skilled people. But you know what I love most about the people that are serving here are their hearts, just to serve God and just to, to uh, do whatever it takes. We have in leadership, we have a term, it's called WIT, that, mean, that stands for whatever it takes. And so you're empowered, too, with wit. If you see some trash in the parking lot when you're coming in, pick it up. This is your church. So uh, I want to thank all of our servants and all of our volunteers. You guys are doing a great job. And I know that they're doing a wonderful job with our children back in the back. And uh, speaking of, we have, uh, Pastor Christine mentioned this morning that we have needs uh, for the AV team. And we need more teachers. And so there's a lot of opportunities if you're wanting to serve and be more involved. That's where I find we really grow more is when we begin to serve and participate. We have uh, so many wonderful leaders, team leaders, and people that are serving. And uh, we have a group of women that come up every Thursday and clean the facility for us. So everything is nice and clean for us and our children. So um, if you'd like to be involved in some of those things, even if you have an hour a week, something like that. You know, there's weeds to kill in the parking lot and the flower beds and things like that. There's things that go on here all week long. So we'd love for you to, to join in, join us on, on our journey here if you, if you so desire. Let's begin to turn to 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to read part of 1 and part of chapter 2 in 1 John. And then let's go to Romans chapter 3. I want to talk a little bit about this series. When Life Fellowship took the survey that we took a few months back, and many of you were here and participated in that, about 30% of the participants indicated that they were not sure that they would go to heaven if they died that day. And so that's really been the driving force behind this series for salvation. Some of us have been saved for a long time, and we know what salvation is. So it's a reaffirmation of what is salvation and understanding that, but also part of the goal for this series is to train and equip us to be able to share that with other people, because it's one thing for us to know it, but can we share that with others in, a, in an effective way to communicate what salvation is? 
And so part of uh, the, this series really is twofold, to affirm to us what salvation is and, and that we are saved, but also to train and equip us to share that with others. I really have two points this morning, and our first point this morning is our salvation is secure. And I want to talk a little bit about that. I had so much more planned, but I'm probably not going to be able to get to all of it today. So let me just try to hit the high, high points here. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. If you have your old-style Bible, it's the fifth book from the end of the Bible. You start in Revelation, then go to Jude. Na, na, na. Okay. Uh, Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. So we're going to be reading here for a little while. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, John wrote, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. Verse 6, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. So it's clear what he's talking about here. He's not just talking about lights like these lights. He's talking about from a spiritual standpoint. And this Greek word for fellowship is one of my favorite words. It's koinonia. And it means bonds of common purpose and devotion that binds Christians to one another and also to Christ. And so when we have koinonia, when we have fellowship, it's bonding us together in devotion as believers. And so you, if you've been coming to Life Fellowship for a while, you know that relationship building is very critical to what we do. We're all about relationships, actually. Relationship with our Heavenly Father and relationships with one another. Once we accept Christ as our Lord, then there should be changes in our heart. These changes in our heart initiate with us coming to a place of saying, Lord, I yield my life to you. I give my life to you. And then through God's transformation of our life. It's not us will, doing the self-willing thing that, oh, I've got to change. I've got to do better. I've got to be better. No. It's about simply yielding our life to him and allowing him access into our life to change us, to transform us. Romans 12, 1 and 2, don't conform to the things of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And so as, as God's word washes over us and we begin to understand his word and we begin to walk in the truth of his word, the reality of his word, because it doesn't matter what someone else has said. It doesn't matter if someone has told you that you're a loser and you will never amount to anything. That's not what God's word says. And James 1.18, it says, Of all God's creation, you are his prized possession. And so as we begin to fill our mind and our heart with the things of God, it begins to transform us. And we begin to think differently. No, I'm not a loser. No, I, I can. God's word says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. So I'm having a challenge. But you know what? I can get through this because not of my own will and strength, but because of the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me. Listen, we all have challenges I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. You need the Holy Spirit guiding you too. We all need the Lord leading us and guiding us. And so it's not a self-will to change. It's a yielding to him and saying, God, touch my heart, change my life, transform me to look more like Christ, to act more like Christ. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, the Son, cleanses us from all sin. Say all sin. All sin. The blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. 
But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then what? Then we have fellowship. We have koinonia with each other. Again, koinonia is the bonds of common purpose and devotion that binds Christians to one another and to Christ. Let me emphasize this here a little bit. I'm going to read this verse again. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship, common purpose, and devotion with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Now, we could drill down. I could stay here for a while, but I'm not going to stay here very long. But I want to point out two things from the scripture. Our relationship with God impacts our relationship with each other. That should not be too terribly surprising to any of us. Because as we yield our life to God and God begins to transform us, as, as God begins to bring health and healing to our lives, begins to reach into those deep areas of our life where maybe we're wounded or we're dealing with rejection or we've dealt with rejection. A lot of people deal with rejection. I mean, seriously, we've all been rejected, but a lot of us have been through things where we really have a hard time believing that God can love us because of what we've been told or because how our earthly parents treated us or someone hurt us deeply. And so as we begin to yield our life to God, God begins to do a work in our life, in every area of our life. He transforms the way that we're thinking. He begins to heal those old hurts. Listen, this is not a self-help program. This is Jesus, I need your help to fix me. I, I love that song that we sing occasionally, Fire Fall Down. And that one line in there says, Jesus, you came to fix my broken life. All of us have areas of brokenness. Are we willing to yield to God and allow him to put us back together and fix our broken lives? I hope we are. Two things from the scripture. One is our relationship with God impacts our relationship with each other. As God begins to work in our life, it helps our marriages. It helps us to be better parents and grandparents. It improves our relationship and how we interact with the people we work with and our neighbors and, and all of those kinds of things. It influences every part of our life. And so our relationship with God helps us in our relationship with each other. And the second thing from the scriptures, the blood of Jesus is what cleanses us from all sin. It's only the blood of Christ that can wash away our sins. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship. We have koinonia with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have our fifth Sunday. And guys, you know what that's all about? It's about building relationships, about fellowshipping together, spending time together, where we're going to have a meal. We're going to have jumpers for the kids and all that kind of stuff. But the purpose is not just to have fun, but to build relationships with one another, because we need one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to be encouraged. Yeah. Through this series, so far, we've covered what is salvation. I want to just go back and sort of recap a couple of things here. And this is a, these are a couple of the definitions that we came up with. Salvation is God's deliverance of a people or an individual from a threatening situation from which that group or person is unable to rescue itself. <laughs> To be delivered. Listen, we all need to be delivered. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Why do we need to be saved? And let me encourage you, if you've missed any of the series, I encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons because it, it ties it all together. It will help you. It will help you have a better understanding. Plus, it will help you to be able to convey that to people that you talk to. Why do I need to be saved? Well, let me tell you why. This is why. Because we all suffer from the effects of sin. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. 
And one of my points a couple of weeks ago was the original sin of Adam and Eve was not our fault. It was not our fault that they chose to disobey. However, it is a problem for us, for all of humanity. Last week, Dave did a great job of teaching, and he talked about how we're saved. And one of the verses he used is a great verse, Acts 2, 21. It says, but everyone, say everyone, everyone everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's great news. It doesn't say that there's a a certain criteria or you have to dress a certain way or look a certain way. It says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And today we're talking about our security and our salvation. We need to admit that we're sinners. Come on, let's be real. We've all missed the mark. We've all made mistakes. We've all disobeyed. And I want to talk about disobedience for a minute. Uh, Sin is really disobedience to God. That's what it's really all about because God says, hey, listen, these are the boundaries that I give you. And if you stay within these boundaries, it's good. If you step out of these boundaries, it's not good. It's not good for you. It may not be good for your family. It may not be good for others. But he says, stay within these boundaries and it's good. We think of sin as murder, stealing, lying, gossiping. Those are concrete examples of sin. But sin really is disobedience to God. And when we begin to think about that... It's not just a a checklist, oh, you know, I can't do this, this, and this. I can do this over here. But when God begins to change our heart, we begin to look at things differently. It becomes less of a checklist and more of a heart issue. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. You can go back and read if you want. But in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, it's talking about Moses and the children of Israel going, being released from bondage in Egypt and going to the promised land. And as powerful as Moses was, and as powerfully as God worked through Moses, let me put it that way, he was disqualified from entering into the promised land. After all the things that Moses did and went through, leading the people out of Egypt and through the desert, he was disqualified from entering into the promised land. Now, God said, you can see it from afar, but I'm not going to allow you to lead the people in. Why? Because of disobedience. And so we find that in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, the children of Israel, they're in the desert. Okay, you have to have water to sustain life, right? They're in the desert. And so Moses goes to God, and he says, God, these people need water. What do I do? And so God speaks to him, and he says, take your staff and go over there and hit that rock. And water will flow out. And so Moses goes over there and he he strikes the the rock with the staff. And water flows out to water all the animals and all the people. And so we see another example in Numbers, a little later, in Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. They were in the same situation. They said, they're crying out, you know, Moses, why did you lead us out here to die? Blah, blah, blah. Moses goes to the Lord again. And God tells Moses... To speak to the rock. Well, and if you read that account, it would appear that Moses is kind of ticked off. I mean, he's, he's like, what's wrong with you people? I'm par- paraphrasing here, okay. But, uh, but he's basically saying, must Aaron and I bring forth water from this rock? Wait a minute. Is it Aaron and, and you, Moses, that's bringing forth water from the rock? Isn't that God? He strikes the rock twice, and water flows forth. But what did God tell him to do? He told him to speak to the rock. Now, the first, well, you may be saying, well, what's the big deal? Speak to it, strike it. Who cares? It's important because Moses 
was God's representative. And so people were looking at him as the leader. You know, let me bunny troll here. People were looking at you too. And they're saying, you're a Christian? You're under the magnifying glass. So we have to be careful how we live our life, the things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we post on Facebook, social media, all those kinds of things. We need to be careful. Moses strikes the rock, and God says, you will not enter into the promised land. It's a serious matter that we obey. It, it matters. I mean, here's, here's something that seems really insignificant, but it was important to God because it's important that we obey. I want to have a Ta moment here if you're new to Life Fellowship. Ta stands for transparent, authentic, and honest. And every once in a while, I have a Ta moment where I kind of lay it out here on the line. But a number of years ago at our home church in Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi Christian Fellowship, we had a midweek service. And I think it was on a Tuesday night back then. And after the praise and worship, Pastor Don would have someone go up and read a scripture or they'd go up and elaborate or whatever. And then he would come up and share the message. And so this particular, I think it was on Tuesday night, we were having praise and worship. It was awesome. And the Lord began to speak to me that I was going to be the one to get to read the scripture. I got so excited because I was on the second row and Pastor Don was up here on the front row and, and I was down like two or three people to his left. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, you're going to be the one today, to, tonight to read this, this scripture. And I was so excited. And sure enough, you know, before praise and worship ended, he turned and he kind of looked at me and said, would you read the scripture tonight? And I'm like, yes. You know, I was so excited. And so praise and worship ends and I go up and and as, as we're worshiping, I already have the scripture in mind. I know what I'm supposed to share. So I go up and, and, and I, I quote the scripture. I just quote it. I don't even read it. I quote it because it's so in me. And then I share, just elaborate for maybe 10 or 15 seconds, just a little bitty short time. And what I'd seen in the past is sometimes people would go up and they would read a scripture, or they would stand there and talk for a while, and I'd be going, can we get on? You know, I'm, I'm having a tall moment here, okay? I'm being honest, people. But I would be, I'd kind of be going, can we get over this, and let's just get Pastor Don up there? So I kind of rationalize in my own mind, I just want to share, you know, 10 or 15 seconds about this passage of scripture. Now, when I, uh, after the service, I saw Pastor Don, and he, he kind of walked by, and he said, I ask you to read a scripture. And then he walked on. I'm like, ah, oh, oh, I didn't read a scripture. I quoted a scripture. He didn't ask me to say anything. And I could have thought, you know, those other people, they stand up there and jabber on and jabber on. And, and, and I didn't do that. But you know what? He asked me to read a scripture. Could I follow simple instructions? No, I didn't. And I felt bad. But you know what? That was a great lesson for me. Because I needed to understand that when he asked me to do something, I need to do what he asked. Not what I think he should have asked me or not what somebody else did. If somebody else got up there and talked for two hours, maybe he told them to do that. Or maybe they came to him and said, hey, pastor, I have something I want to share. And he may have said, go ahead, you know, go for it. I don't know. But the thing was is that he didn't ask me to do that. And so that was a very good lesson for me in disobedience. Now, you know, I, I, I was hearing from the Lord. The Lord spoke to me and said, hey, uh, you're going to be the one to read the scripture. And it was a great scripture th that I quoted. But you know what? I, I still disobeyed. So we can be walking in the things of God. We can be hearing from the Holy Spirit, and he can be leading our lives, but we can still disobey. 
Think about Moses. I mean, a powerful man of God. Think of all the things that God did through his life, all the miracles. But yet he disobeyed. Listen, guys, it's, it's important that we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Not only sensitive, but what? That we obey. Okay. So my point is, is that sin is really disobedience to God. And it comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes and colors. And one of the biggest things that we, I think we struggle with, the root cause, a lot of times, is uh, selfishness and pride. So if you're having problems, you can normally condense it back to one of those two things, which are really the same thing. So if you're having struggles in your life, go back and see if it's pride or selfishness. All right, so 1 John 1, 8. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Verse 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. I think some versions use the word unrighteousness. And we know that we're made right by the blood of Christ by receiving him. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness or all wickedness. And when I've disobeyed, I desire to go back and... And ask God for his forgiveness. Not because it's like, well, I, I, you know, I messed up. Oh, I messed up on this checklist. I missed something. My heart is grieved. Because of my relationship with him, it's not a religious thing that I go back and ask forgiveness. Oh, I have to go do penance. I have to do these things to work my way back. No, it breaks my heart because I know that I've disobeyed him. And imagine, I know this has probably happened to you too, where someone you love, your spouse or someone, you've hurt their feelings or you've hurt them. And how do you feel? You feel terrible. You feel worse probably than they do, right? Because you know that you've hurt their feelings or you've hurt them. And so when I disobey God, the Holy Spirit will convict us. So, you know, that, that really wasn't right. There's a difference between conviction and and condemnation. He doesn't condemn us, but he convicts us. Do you understand the differences? So when I have sinned or disobeyed, I desire to go back to him and ask forgiveness because he is faithful, faithful and just to forgive us from all of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness or unrighteousness. If I've hurt someone, I desire to go back. I have to say, having another time moment, that's not always been the case. <laughs> I haven't always desired to go back and apologize if I've done something wrong. Justify, oh, well, you know, they did this and they did that. Well, they started, well, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's not right. And when we ask forgiveness from the Lord, he extends grace to us. I believe God is much more gracious and forgiving to us than we are toward other people. <laughs> God is gracious. So we should be like that. We should be gracious and forgiving. Have you ever asked for forgiveness and someone told you, I will not forgive you? Man, that's tough. But have you ever done something wrong and had a hard time forgiving yourself? Yeah, because I think it goes back to us living in such a performance-based society. And so we need to understand that God's economy and God's principles are not always like the world. In fact, a lot of times they're very different. But God is quick to forgive us and others, and we should demonstrate the same. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. 
Verse 10, 1 John 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. God desires a transparent, authentic, honest relationship with him. He can handle it. I promise you, he can handle it. Whatever it is that we need to take to him, we're not surprising him. And you're probably not the first one to do whatever, whatever this is. So God is desirous of us having an authentic relationship. He's not interested in us having a religious experience or having a fake and pressure neighbor or the people at church relationship. He desires an intimate relationship with you. That's his greatest desire. I've shared the story about AJ that he shared with me that uh, he had a neighbor that every Sunday morning when he would drive out of the, na- the neighborhood or drive down the driveway, AJ would be out there and the guy on his way to church would flip him off. <laughs> now, if AJ was unsaved, how willing would he be wanting to go to church or certainly that guy's church? You know, what are we doing? How are we treating others? God is desirous of a authentic relationship with us, not just that we act nice when we're at church. We should be acting nice all the time. Let's continue with chapter 2. Keep in mind that these were letters that were written. They didn't have chapters and subtitles like we have in our Bibles. They didn't have verses. This was a letter, so it was all cohesive as you would read through this. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 through 6 says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who truly the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. There is no doubt that the sacrifice of Christ is sufficient for all of our sins, for all of our sins and the sins of the entire world. It's sufficient. We've talked about Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus said, go and make disciples. Just in your hood, just at your workplace, in your country, know the world. And so God has called us to make disciples. And so, listen, guys, we need to understand that our salvation is secure. Because otherwise, we're vacillating back and forth. And the scriptures say, do you see a man who's, who's unstable in, in the way that he thinks? He's like a, he's double-minded. He's tossed about like the winds of the sea. And so we need to be secure and stable in our relationship and understand that our salvation is secure. Because, you know what, we didn't do anything to, to make it happen. We just simply received he did it all. Salvation is not based on our works. We talked about Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We're saved by grace through faith when we believe, not of our good works that anyone should boast, but it's only through the grace of Christ because we can't be good enough. We're saved by grace through faith when we believe, 1 John 2, 3, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. This Christian walk is not about religion. It's about a real, authentic relationship with him. And the proof is in our changed lives. The word says that they'll know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So when they see us truly loving one another, the world will look and say, wow, those are true disciples of Christ. I'm not talking about the denomination. I'm talking about true disciples of Christ, followers of Christ, not fans who are fickle. But 
followers of Christ. 1 John 2, 4, if someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. Verse 5, but those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Obedience demonstrates that we are in a relationship and committed to God. Again, it's a heart issue, guys. It's not a checklist of do's and don'ts. It's a matter of our heart. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So when we talk about our phrase here, live it, it's, it's an encouragement for us to live as Jesus did, to live the life that God has called us to. In Romans 3, through 24, it says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. I love that verse. None of us are disqualified. It's simply a gift that we can receive. And when we took this survey as a church a few months back, 97% of the participants indicated they had received Christ as their Lord and Savior. However, about 70% were 100% confident that they would go to heaven if they died that day, meaning there were 30% that were not confident. Listen, I want you to, to understand that salvation is not based on our works. It's, it's not based on the things that we've done or haven't done. Romans 3, 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for some who believe. No. <laughs> you guys are awake. All right, you're doing good. For everyone who believes, no matter who we are, and I think I could safely say no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, it doesn't matter. For all of those who call upon the Lord are saved by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. So if you've accepted Christ, you're saved. You don't need to come down to the altar every week and get resaved again because you messed up last week. I mean, you can do that if you want. Salvation is not based on our feelings. Your feelings will lie to you. Ah, oh, they don't like me. I know. I, see, I said something to her and she didn't even speak to me. Or he gave me that, that ugly look. I know he doesn't like me. Well, the truth may be that she's just gone through a traumatic situation in her life and she didn't even know you were there. Or he may not have even seen you. He may be dealing with something. So our feelings will lie to us. <laughs> and then we have an enemy that will lie to us that will condemn us. He's always accusing us. But you know what? We can push those things aside. We can say, wait a minute. No, that's not the truth. The truth is that God loves me. The truth is that God wants to have a relationship with me. The truth is I can't be good enough, but the truth is also that I can't be bad enough to be disqualified because it's not based on me. Whenever we take communion, we read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it talks about God has made a covenant with us through the blood of Christ. It's a covenant that God makes with us. So salvation is not based on the number of good things that you've done, or it's not based on the number of bad things that you've done. You know, sometimes I think it's like a scale. It's like, okay, I have a lot of good things. I have more good things going on than bad. I've got to do more good things. I've, I've got about, it's not like that at all. Listen, there are going to be a lot of bad people People that have done bad things in heaven, I believe, because not because of their actions, and I'm not condoning doing bad things, but because they've received God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And those are probably the ones that, that have a greater understanding. Listen, those of us that have 
done so many bad things, we're probably responding to God a little bit more. Because we know where we, I know where I've come from. I know the things that I've done. And I know the sins that God has forgiven me of. I'm grateful. I'm thankful. So it's not based on the things that we do, good or bad. Salvation is only based on God's love, grace, and forgiveness toward us. And the only thing that I can find that we play a part in that equation is that we simply receive it. I mean, that's it. And it's a choice. I could whip out a $100 bill, and I could say, here, Dave, take that. And he could take that, and I, knowing Dave, he would take it. <laughs> or, or he could reject it. And God is saying, listen, I want to be in an intimate relationship with you. I've done it all. I've paid the price on the cross. You don't have to do anything. Just receive it. And then it's up to us to receive it. But you know what? People reject it. People reject what God has done. And it shouldn't be too surprising. They rejected Jesus himself when he was here. But we need to be secure. We need to understand that our salvation is secure. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's in Romans 3.31. We talked about keeping the law and all of those things. And, and so uh, Paul is saying, well, should we, since we're saved by grace, then, you know, it doesn't matter. We can just go do any old thing we want to do. No, no. When God gets a hold of our heart, it changes the way that we respond. It changes the way that we see things. Repentance from sin is not just turning and going the other way. It's changing the way that we think about sin saying this is hurtful and harmful to me and my family or whatever it may be. And so we just need to receive what God has already done. Just receive it. If you have accepted Christ, then you are saved. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. And just yield to God and allow him to transform your life and work in your life. He's great at fixing our broken lives, I promise you. The only thing that we do is simply receive it. Romans 3.23, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. The ground is level at the cross. No one gets a head start on anyone else. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter what your vocation is. As I taught a couple of weeks ago, sin is sin. It's like having a white gown on and getting mud on it. I mean, does it matter if it's on the, on the front or on the back or on the side? You know what? It's dirty. And that's what sin does. Sin stains us. But Christ paid it all on the cross. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans 3.24. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. He paid the penalty. He paid the ransom. So you don't have to go back and wonder, well, did he pay the ransom for this one? For all. For all of it. For the things that you did last week and last year, the, the things that you did last night, the things that you will maybe do next week. God paid it all. Jesus paid the ransom for all sins, for all of our sins. So I have two points this morning. Our salvation is secure. My second point, our salvation is secure. If I had 800 points this morning, they would all be, our salvation is secure. Is it clear to you now? <laughs> Do you understand? Your salvation is secure. Acts 2.21, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that scripture. I don't see that God desires anyone to be unsaved or be lost. He desires that all would be saved. 
I want to talk about one other thing. Uh, I had a couple of things that I wanted to talk about, but I'm just going to talk about one. Maybe other beliefs or other things that you've heard. Calvinism is one of the things that I wanted to talk about, and, and I, don't, I haven't studied it extensively, but from what I understand, Calvinism basically implies that we have no choice whether we're saved or not. It's already been predetermined, and there's a scripture that talks about uh, predestined, and I think what that means is God knows the choices are, we're going to make. I don't think it's, and, and what, the impression that I get from Calvinism, it's like God has a bucket with saved and unsaved, and he pulls one out. He's like, Mark Johnson, uh, uh, saved, yes, 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 all right. Okay, Bob Smith, mm, I'll be saved, unsaved, oh gosh. Okay, Mary Jones. Saved, yes. God desires that all should be saved. And I just don't see that that's biblical. I don't see that that reflects the heart of God. I believe that Calvinism is an error. And so you may, you may hear things like that. You may hear, well, God's already determined. And I, I just don't see that lining up with Scripture. And God has given us free will. Adam and Eve chose to disobey. God said, you can eat of all the fruit in the garden, but don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, that's pretty clear. Mark, I want you to read a scripture. Moses, I want you to, and I'm not comparing myself with Moses, okay? Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. It's very simple. If we will just obey, God has given us a free will. You and I have the choice of receiving God or rejecting him through Christ. And we've looked at some of these scriptures that talk about we have the ability to choose. We choose every day a lot of things. If you have any doubt that God is calling you, and if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, he's calling you today. Let me go back to Calvinism and predestined or predetermined. God is outside of time. God is omnipresent. I don't know how that works, but you know, that's what his word says. So he's outside of time. And if you take your favorite movie, and you were to stop that movie somewhere along the continuum of that movie and look at two clips and say, okay, this is representative of my life. Okay, you see those two little frames of those tens of thousands. I don't know how many frames are in a movie. But God has seen the movie. He sees the whole thing. So he knows what decisions are going to make. Is it that he desires that some be saved and some not be saved? No, he desires that all will be saved. But he knows the end of the story. He knows who gets the girl at the end or whatever that, that movie is. And so when God looks at our life, he sees the choices that we've made. And that's his great desire that he didn't create us to be robots. He gave us a free will. So when God looks at our life, he knows what choices we've made. And it's up to us to choose him. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20 says, choose life, choose blessings. The key to your life is to love God, obey God, and commit firmly to Him. The key to your life is love God, obey God, and commit to Him. God is omnipresent, and He knows what's going on. He knows the choices that we're going to make. Can you lose salvation? I don't think you can because it's a choice that we make. It's not based on the things that we do. I don't think we can lose our salvation because... We didn't do anything to earn it. He did it all. Christ did it all on the cross. And we just simply receive. Can you reject salvation? Yeah. 
people rejected Christ. People reject Christ still today. But you know what? That doesn't mean we quit praying for them. It doesn't mean we quit loving them. It doesn't mean that we stop being a, a godly example. But we continue to reach out to them and love them. I'd like for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're not sure of your salvation, I mean, if, you, if you've never accepted Christ or you, maybe you want to rededicate your life to Christ, we can do that today. We've all come to a place where we've said, hey, God, I, I need you in my life. When I was 25 years old, even though I was brought up in a Christian home, I called a Baptist preacher one time and I said, I want to rededicate my life to Christ. I walked away from the Lord and, and he prayed with me right then. And I told him next Sunday, I want to come to your church and be baptized or whenever I can. He said, fine, we can do that. We've all come to that place where we, where we recognize that our relationship with God isn't right or maybe we don't have one. Maybe we had one at one point in time, but we walked away. Listen, if God is tugging on your heart this morning, would you simply respond? Would you slip up your hand and say, I want to rededicate my life to Christ or I want to give my life to Christ? That's you. There's no shame in that. The shame would be to walk out of this building in the same condition that you came in this building with. That you can be set free today and walk in the fullness of life, getting rid of all that sin and guilt and shame and walking in, in the freshness of life. Anybody here this morning? Lord God, I thank you so much for your great love. I thank you that we don't have to strive and perform to be saved, that we simply receive your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. And Father, I pray that we would, we would have that understanding, but also that we would be able to share that with others that we come in contact with because maybe we're not confused about our salvation, but I, I know that there are other people out there that don't know you and other people that think salvation is just a matter of, of tipping the scales in the right direction, doing enough good things to offset the bad things. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have a greater understanding and we would be able to share your great love with those whom you bring across our path. So, Father, as we go from this place this morning, let us be determined to live it, not just so other people will see Christ in us, but so that we'll grow in an authentic relationship with you. So we pray all these things with expectation in the almighty and the all-powerful name of Jesus. So this week, when God brings people across your path, pray for them. Be praying. Say, who is it that I need to invite to Life Fellowship for Bible study or for church on Sunday? And then do it. God will, God will give you people. He'll bring people to your mind. Who do I need to encourage this week? So go out and make a difference in your world. God has equipped you and prepared you to go make a difference in this world. So go out and live it. Will you do that this week? All right, you're dismissed. Thank you for joining us. See you Wednesday night at Bible study.